the superior man can find himself in no situation in which he is not himself. In a high situation, he does not treat with contempt his inferiors. In a low situation, he does not court the favour of his superiors. He rectifies himself and seeks for nothing from others, so that he has no dissatisfactions. The superior man is quiet and calm, waiting for the appointments of heaven, while the mean man walks in dangerous paths, looking for lucky occurrences. 君子无辱而不自得焉，在上位不凌下，在下位不圆上。正己而不求于人，则无怨。上不怨天，下不由人。故君子居易以似命，小人行险以侥幸。Welcome to Inside the Chinese Mind, the podcast for learning how to work cross-culturally with China business and with Chinese people, and about China business development. Your hosts, Dr. Helen Jung from Cambridge, United Kingdom, and Darren Fuchs from Thomson Gear Lawyers in Australia. Nida Shu Jungen Hanhao. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, Helen. How are you? Very good. How are you, Darren? Good. Still loving Italy. The sun's still shining. There's going to be snow on the mountains here soon, so、uh, so it's getting a bit nippy. Oh, but we had、uh, lovely. We have had a lovely summer, haven't we? We indeed have, indeed. So I'm up in、uh, at a house in Argenio, which is next to the deepest part of Lake Como. So it's probably the coldest part as well in the water. So there's there's no dipping in the water at the moment. Oh, I love how you have both the mountain and the.、Uh, Uh, water um, in uh, easy access there and there. Yes, so do we. So Jung Jung in business. This is going to be fun. I reckon the first thing I want to talk about is the grey zone. What do you think, <laughs> Helen? I think that's a fantastic topic, Darren. We may as well get down into、uh, yeah. <laughs> details of of this,、uh, which annoys most of、um, most of the no, West. Exactly. <laughs> They can never get a straight answer from Chinese, and they believe you know you ask a question, you never get a straight answer. And I think that's because Westerners tend to see the world in a more black and white terms. One of the frustrating things of living in China is the fact that for so much of life there, everything is lived in this grey zone.、Mm. That lines that separate what is permissible from what is not are often blurred and movable in China. You don't know clearly what's right and wrong. And imagine if you were born into that. Uh, that life, and then your parents, the society, your school—you、uh, go through your life operating in that way. That's just part of life. Yeah. Yes. So you you don't yeah you don't see、um, you know not giving a precise answer a yes or no as being vague. Yeah. No.、Um, and then you would. Appreciate that things will always change, and things will always、um, uh, situations shift and、uh, conditions change. So you will you you wouldn't see it as in、um, you know leave in being vague. You would just say, well, you know, just in case, I better leave some space. The wiggle room. Yeah, the wiggle room. <laughs> the wiggle room,、yes. <laughs> the grey area. Yeah, so it, it, it depends on the perception on how you look at this.、Um, you know, the Chinese will look at it from a different、uh, different、oh. point of view. Yeah, it's just it's、mm. just permitting balancing.、Mm-hmm. Yeah,、mm-hmm. 
It's yeah. just not seen as a grey zone. It's actually saying here is the safe area to be in. It's somewhere between this and this. And if you can operate in uh, in knowing what the rules are to operate, because the rules are so vague in China mm-hmm. and not clear and, and can be moderated to allow balancing at the right position at the right time, right. but this large grey area that seems problematic for Westerners but for Chinese um, is appears less risky and allows flexibility. And again, this perhaps um, emphasised the Zhongyong uh, rule, which means it's you know everything in moderation yes. and it's a constant balancing act. But for us, for for people in the West or for uh, people who are wanting to say, for example, negotiate a contract or a business um, deal, it becomes extremely frustrating because everything is forever seemingly moving. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, you can't you can't hang on to anything that's um, sort of mo- not moving or, or tangible or agreed on. Even huh. something you agreed on, you may have to uh, renegotiate the next day. Yes, and and every day it's it's a new day for a new negotiation, and with, <laughs> within the wriggle room, within the grey area. Sure. Um, so in the Baker John model, if we could apply how Zhongyong works, it's important to bear in mind that all the Chinese people at one stage will do this to you. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yes. that's the first point I want to raise, that where Zhongyong applies in, in business in China, Helen. And mm, the second sure. is, is yeah. have you noticed that, that Chinese tend to negotiate in a collective style as opposed to an individual style? Have yes. you ever seen that? Yes, <laughs> Um, because um, again, it comes from this Zhongyong thinking: is that um, one uh, because of the hierarchical nature of the uh, Chinese culture, the boss shouldn't be seen and never been seen as the negotiator. Yes. So the boss can be the final person who not who says yes or not uh, or no to the negotiation. Yes. So. And then the people who are in the team will be allocated the roles to negotiate, um, to assess, and to basically test out the boundaries, this gray area. Yes. So nobody wants to be seen as the main or the only person in charge of this uh-huh. process because, uh-huh. again, it's a collective process. Uh-huh. And, uh, and no one wants to be seen as taking on the boss's role. Yeah. Have you had similar situations, Darren? In- yes, I have. I've had many negotiations where you might start with one team of three people who pick you up at the airport and on the car on the way out, they'll talk to you about, well, this is the things we want to achieve here or these are the things we're negotiating. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And then you'll have dinner with other people that night. We'll ask you other questions um, after a few few small wines. Mm. Um, and they'll say, oh, look, thank you for that. We're, we were thinking this and we we're thinking that. What do you think of this? Would that work in the negotiation, et cetera, et cetera? Mm. And then you get to the negotiation and it's the day of the negotiation and, and they said, oh, look, we want to take you up to, before we start, there's a beautiful place up there at, uh, at, uh, at um, um, Yuan Mingyuan. Yeah, yeah, Yuan Mingyuan. Uh-huh. Or yeah. the Chinese Wall or something like that. Yeah. And they'll take you out early and they'll give you a bit of crusty bread as the breakfast, et cetera. And yeah. you've got earlier than you wanted to and the site was okay but you know it really wasn't focusing on where you want to get to and you get to negotiation and those people who 
went out with you to take you to Yuan Ming Yuan, now disappeared, another team who are fresh come in and you're half exhausted, et cetera. <laughs> and, then, and then you might have the same people who drove you out at that meeting there. But the reality is in the background, they're all talking collectively. You know, all, all the information that they're getting from different sources are all fed into one place. Mm-hmm. And there's a, then a, a process that involves uh, um, a collective decision. But the first part is that, that there's a lot of elements to the negotiation team, usually, and it's a collective negotiation style where it's not one person leading it or apparently leading it, but it's various different groups that will work in different ways to get to, to get different information or to give you different information to help you understand whether the, where the negotiation might successfully re- result in an outcome. But That's very it, wise, um, yeah. Darren. So the approach there for a Westerner, if you're uh, there negotiating just by yourself mm-hmm. uh, with a organization who could potentially have a whole team allocated, um, not just for the allocation, but to uh, help you to bond with you to assess um, where the relationship is, you know, whether it's worthy of further investment or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, what what to do to push it to the or move it to the next stage. But yeah. it's very much a collective process, Indeed. and um, it's a um, ever evolving, ever moving process. Yeah. But um, don't assume that if you talk to three different groups that you have to do it again fresh because they're all talking to each other constantly. Uh, constantly. So there yeah. is a, a collective um, mind that you are working with. Yes. And they don't understand why we don't do the same. <laughs> How can we do it individually? You're not part of the Jung Jung. You're not part of the collective. How can your decision be be um, an individual's decision be serving the greater good i love that movie hot fuzz have you seen the movie hot fuzz no <laughs> it's an english movie right uh, probably about uh 15 years old now it was one of the three cornetto movies um right short of the dead and the other one was uh i think something like pub at the end of the world and hot right. fuzz is about a very strict must letter of the law policeman from uh-huh. london who's so efficient that the London constabulary actually sent him up to a small town called Newtonville, I think it was, okay. in the country, which is a village that was one of the tidiest town or best town in England uh, 20 right. years in a row. Okay. And, of course, in England, in, in the town, the small town, they didn't operate in the in the London strict by the rule, black book by the rules approach, but did everything for the greater good. Right. So they would tolerate uh, you know, young kids in the pub, which is better than being out in the streets causing vandalism, or they'd tolerate, uh, uh, you know, someone having a collection of guns that weren't registered, etc. And of course, the policeman from England um, couldn't handle it because it was so different. Uh, <laughs> of course, the movie goes on to another element. And in fact, to achieve the greater good, the uh, the group, which was the neighbourhood watch group, which was running the town in reality, was killing of those who didn't comply with the greater good. But that's another story. But uh, apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie, but the the movie showed me a real difference between the black letter of the law Western style of these are the rules and this is how to apply it, mm. versus the Chinese style of no, the rules are malleable. There's a grey zone. It's all a collective negotiation style, and we come to a a joint process or decision for what's the greater good, not just what's the individual good. 
But how do they make decisions, Helen? I'll move you on to the next one. How does the boss or the group finally make a decision as to what things to go ahead with? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question, Darren. I again, I want to um, uh, warn our podcasts that um, we're offering you a um, guiding. It, it's a almost like a Google Maps uh, to understand how the mind works. But ultimately, you need to put in your destination, uh, and you need to drive to the destination. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, again. For Chinese people, um, Zhongyong will be how they rely on um, to reach the final decision. In yeah. other words, the boss will rely on Zhongyong and the team will rely on the same principle. Um, so the boss will listen and the group will present uh, their suggestions and their thinking but they will make sure because of the hierarchical nature that uh, if the boss made a decision, uh, they will make sure that the boss think it's uh, through his own effort or his mm. own judgment. Yeah. Uh, and the group has done all they had to do um, to negotiate and do the right work and um, show the counterpart hospitality and look after the, the person. Yeah. Um, because a business deal is not just uh, the transaction itself. It's often uh, from a Zhongyong perception, perceptive, it's more about the relationship. Mm. It's about achieving a balance yes. between, um, you know, what the Chinese will get, uh, what the um, counterpart will get, and mm -hmm. also whether... Uh, how much compromise or how much we can achieve without um, hurting the other side's face, yes. which is the other concept we um, need to visit um, in future podcasts. Yes. Well, let's do that in future. I found uh, we'll do that in future podcasts. In my reading, Helen, a typical, but not always, way of a group of a decision being made uh, is finding what's called group ethical decision-making style is, is what I read. And it talks about how, the boss will ultimately make the decision and he'll decide what is uh, what uh, outcomes he wants to be for, for it to be achieved but he listens to all of the different views of his own group and suggestions etc and, and encourages all the voices to speak up about what they think is best and then he will make a decision that achieves the outcomes that he desires that best meets the average not the median but the mean um, of the different views of the group so is a decision a boss decision or is it a group decision? It's really a mixture of both. The boss will make the decision, but mm. this is what I'm suggesting, but mm. um, he'll take into account what all the different views are because he knows he has to have all of those people operating to support the decision and uh, will make a decision that is on the average of the different views expressed by the members in the group. Of course, I totally agree with that, Darren, because uh, remember, again, for the Chinese, what's important is not who made the decision. No. It's about the decision. It's about the process of reaching that decision. And the boss, if, who's, if he, has, he or she weren't involved, wasn't involved much in the whole negotiation or dealing or working hmm. with the counterparts, they will very much rely on the... Uh, recommendations 
from the team, uh, yes. particularly the ones who are in close contact or our negotiation are working yes. with the uh, Westerners. Yes. So, Helen, in, in my experience, I don't need to get to the boss to tell him what I think. Mm. I can tell the guys who pick me up from the airport. Mm. I can tell the guys who I have dinner with that night. And I have the, have the I can tell the, the people who take me out to Yuan Ming Yuan that morning before the negotiation. And then I can tell it again in the meeting. But I can adjust what I think is right by listening to the feedback that each of those groups tell me because they will be talking to the group um, collectively and to the boss. So I know what they tell me back is going to be something that supports what the group or the boss, whatever you want to call it, wants to have as the outcome anyway. So I tend to find the negotiation is not around the table. A lot of the negotiation is is expressing, you know, kindly expressing views and listening to views to all the different groups I deal with before I get to the negotiation because I know the feedback I'm going to get in the next meeting. Say say I tell some people in the, in the car on the way out to the hotel what I think. I know that's going to go back to the group and be discussed and resolved before the people pick me up for dinner and what they tell me will be the feedback I get from the first session. Does that make sense? Absolutely, Darren. I think what you have just offered our listeners are the wisdom of the three important values of Zhong Yong, which is the wisdom, the wisdom of knowing that everyone you're dealing with are ultimately having something impacting Indeed. the decision. Yes. And the kind-heartedness, the compassion, which is not thinking, well, why am I doing this over and over again? And yes. how, how you know, they, they throw me different people every time <laughs> in, uh, and things are changing all the time. People are shifting all the time. So have that compassion and that understanding. That's yes. how the Chinese work. Um, and then the courage to be able to stay sincere yes, and stay who you are, but allowing the understanding and give the Chinese people what they're asking for. Yeah. So we're covering practical aspects of Jung Yong and how to deal with Chinese. And the first was the gray zone. The second is the how negotiations are collective. The third is to understand how decisions are made and how to influence those decisions. And Helen, just on, I was thinking about um, uh, how we say that China is the new place of innovation. Does that cripple individual um, uh, creativity? Um, this is an interesting, very interesting topic, uh, Darren. We uh, we were discussing this briefly before we started the um, podca podcast. Um, some researchers have found that the conformity or Zhongyong, basically, if you look at people are trying, all trying to conform, they're all trying to fit in, um, yeah. they're not going to be able to or willing to express their individuality. Yes. So that's why they tend to think that most of the breakthroughs are the what they call the interruptions, um, interruptive innovations came from the West probably makes sense, but I actually think the Chinese create differently or innovate differently. Yes. Because simply because of the capability of holding yin and yang, the uh, mutually uh, conflicting or contradicting concepts together in the same time is one of the key elements of mm. creation, of, of mm. being innovative or being able to think creatively. Mm. 
So um, I have actually done some research on some Chinese companies, uh, how they yes. innovate. But um, also, Darren, you had the higher example mm-hmm. of how the Chinese uh, use, or I, I let you say it, you say it way more eloquently <laughs> than I do. Well, we're talking before about um, in the higher model, in its current state, uh, in its current operating system, that individuals still come up with the original creative idea. For example, a washing machine that can also uh, not just wash clothes, but also wash potatoes. So some individual uh, would come up with that idea. And that individual, and that individual might be one person or might be three or five or more, but it's, it's a small group. And they'll come up with their own individual idea of what can be developed by hire. They'll then take it to management and if it's a management thinks it's a good idea, they say that's fantastic. Now you pick your team, right? We'll fund you. Uh, you can be the boss, or someone else can be the boss. The group can vote you out as a boss if you don't operate properly in their mind, um, not in Hire's mind, but in their mind. Um, and if you can, you put together a team who are keen to um, put their future income and relationship with the company online by joining you to develop the potato and clothes washing machine and then it's the group which Chinese work well in in innovating taking the idea and turning it into an actual white goods machine that's sitting uh, in, in the store for sale so it's the group whilst that whilst I think as you're right that Chinese still enables individual creativity it's the organizational approach of Jung Yong of making a team work more efficiently that takes that individual created idea into a practical uh, application that, that earns money for the company. So I think the Chinese are actually much better at that than we are in innovation. I didn't, when I say innovation, the creativity is something separate. The innovation is taking an idea and making it into something that actually works. And that's the hard part. Um, as I say, um, uh, I'm a person who has a thousand ideas before breakfast, and by lunchtime you want to strangle me, Helen. But <laughs> the hard part, coming up with ideas, is is sometimes easier easier than making them actually work. And you look at Elon Musk with Tesla. And the mm. idea was to develop an electric car that was efficient. I think at one stage he declared himself bankrupt to keep Tesla out of bankruptcy, mm-hmm. and has struggled uh, terribly to make uh, it work. And it's the same with SpaceX. I think what he's great at is not necessarily the creativity of coming up with individual ideas, but the ability to turn that that idea into a practical outcome. Um, and I think the Chinese, uh, because of their collectivism, because of Zhu Yong, in the ability to be innovative. Yeah, I think innovation and creativity are expressed in <clears throat> anywhere in the world. Um, and we we can't compare who's better uh, who's uh, it, it's it's I I don't see it as a competition. It's but not a competition. You, yeah. yeah, but you said it so eloquently in the sense, mm-hmm. Darren, that um, Zhong Yong is all about for us how we relate Zhong Yong in the model is that it's all yes. about applying applying this way to make it just right. Yes. So it's not left right. It's yes. not your way or my way, not collective or individual. Uh, it's not about this and that. It was, you know, like you were saying, how 
when there's an idea, uh, yeah. if it makes sense, you bring it out to the market. Yeah. And you don't wait, you know, one part of the um, problems with a lot of academic uh, research and scientific research is that um, we tend to wait until it's perfect. Yes. So by the time you think it's perfect, the others already taken it to market and had, <laughs> you know, had version yeah. version 112. That's right. Yeah. So sure. I, I guess if there's anything for us to take uh, away personally for me to apply Zhong Yong in my life is that mm. um, it is how do you find that balance between you have to make it perfect. Yes. To well, this is good. Let's let's apply this. Let's send it out there and see what needs to be done, mm. or see the feedback and keep on improving that. That's a beautiful gray zone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Helen. I think that's enough for today. Let's wrap it up. Perfect. I'm going to go and enjoy the Italian sunshine. Mm. What are you going to do? Absolutely, I should go while the sun is still out, just to Excellent. enjoy the precious sunshine in Cambridge. You enjoy that. All right, podcasts. Thank you very much for joining us today. And we'll see you next time. See you, 再见。再见